0: All I meant to do was to clear an open space in between the page and name. There was only you, only you, only you, only
1: Rebecca Martin, welcome. And I feel like this is like our third interview. I think it's been several.
2: I don't know how many it's been a long time. Making
1: I, yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like I should have, I don't know, like brought flowers or chocolates or something, you know, to commemorate. Just, just, <laughs> that's, that's just perfect. Well, so like you said earlier, happy new year. Happy new year. So this has been a crazy couple of years. Something we never thought, at least that I never thought I would see in my lifetime, you know, is this whole pandemic that kind of stopped the whole world. And especially the musicians who were affected, you know, as far as in the entertainment industry, you know, musicians, actors, um, you know, Broadway performers, things like that. But you seemed like you had no problem staying busy in the couple of years during the like so like like what did you what else did what did you do to like kind of maintain some sanity other than your big musical project which I'm excited to talk to you about
2: well I first of all I I wasn't so surprised by the pandemic having never been you know experienced having not experienced one It was abstract when it occurred, but, you know, I think pandemics are something that have been discussed and there have been concerns about the next one and, and uh, you know, throughout different administrations. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all and it wouldn't surprise me at all. If we had another that wasn't so far in the distant future, to be honest, um, given all the changes of climate and what have you. Um, so um, I think i I, like everyone else, just had to adjust. and you know, I work, I, I work at a, an organization called River Keeper, and where I'm currently the director of community Partnerships. It's a big job. It's a large watershed. And so we had to adapt through Zoom like everyone else. Um, We have a 16-year-old son who switched to remote learning. So there was that adjustment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our community uh, has different varying degrees of challenges. um, And watching that play out was really challenging too. Um, You know, people weren't working. Some people weren't eating. Some people didn't have place a place to live. Um, there were concerns about work, as you suggested, with mm-hmm. um, freelancers or gig workers, as we've come to know ourselves, who are musicians and, and actors, as you point out, who may be musicians more so than actors. I don't know what their situation was, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's was the same initially of just trying to sorted out but um yeah i th- i just feel like it's been it's been a big uh changing time and here we are doing what we can to adapt and to continue to do the things that we all find ourselves doing today
1: you know i obviously i don't make a living playing music or anything but i've been a musician for 30 uh, something years now and played in bands and did my own thing and while I didn't feel the impact of it on a you know occupational level or like a financial level it, it was amazing to me that we had to adapt to a whole new way of expression and ex, you know performing our music and think people were doing virtual concerts and they were doing backyard social distance concerts where they would invite 10 people, you know, and things like that. And it was really interesting because I really enjoyed seeing the creative um, ideas that so many musicians had.
2: It pushed musicians along to find ways of using the internet, who knows, you know, in ways that are maybe sustaining in the future, whether it's teaching, whether it's, you know, there's no replacing that going out to hear music. We we need that. But Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I think the, the, as you say, the creative ways of finding uh, uh, a continued um, opportunity to connect with fans or the public was inspiring. And I hope that some of those ideas will, continue to take hold. And also that we can work out the royalty structures, you know, the things that we've been work working on, or some some have been working on, on behalf of all musicians for a long time to make it, to make uh, royalties, uh, you know, pay better, to sustain, mm-hmm. take care of the writers and the uh, instrumentalists, et cetera, who are making important music. So we'll see, we'll see how that Um, how that benefits musicians. I'm different from most musicians because I really can't do one. I I do different things and I've always Mm -hmm. needed to do that. And I also am torn by that. It's not easy to have left and right brain really active. Um, I'm an organizer, so I need, I'm very detail oriented. And yet I need space to write and to create. And so I, I don't put, and I've never put all my eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. So I, I, um, yeah, I, I've really been able to diversify what I do. and, And in the end, that has really been very helpful in my life. So having the job that I have satisfies many needs, my organizing needs and my, my need to engage in community, my need to contribute to um, to the world in, in terms of a practical, you know, mm. clean air, clean water, um, you know, environmental justice in some regards in our communities, et cetera, on the small scale on the larger scale at Riverkeeper, all of these things heightened and on steroids. It's a huge <laughs> area, 13,400 square miles of communities. And the Hudson River is the, is the, centerpiece of the work. So um, that diversity really worked out in this very
1: hard time of COVID. I can only imagine because, you know, uh, like anybody, you know, when I'm a fan of somebody uh, as a musician or as an artist, uh, I, I like to find out how they are as people is you know what they're like what is it that makes them tick like what are their fundamentals and things like that and even though people a lot of times will say things like oh that shouldn't dictate whether or not you're a fan of someone's music i while that's true to an extent it's also what makes me it's also a deciding factor to me on how i perceive that person and their music because i feel like a lot of times what they do and their own uh kind of like what you do like it eventually bleeds through into your art and so you know i can imagine that like doing what you do like you said even though you can't put all your eggs in one basket it's it feeds that one side of you you know you're compartmentalizing where it feeds this one side of you but at the same time you still have that space for you like you said for, for music and for creativity and whatnot do you feel that that one that that other side can sometimes come in as a source of influence or inspiration and not even so much lyrically or anything, but like, just, you know, as a vibe, if that makes sense. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Well, so I do think it's a bit, I think we couldn't get into real trouble if we have to like the people whose music we need. Like, I don't, Mm know if that always translates and I don't think it's important that it does. I really Mm -hmm. don't. I mean, you know, but, uh, there are musicians who's, who are, I think more intimate in the world and sharing other parts of themselves. I think you're seeing more of that, that seem Mm -hmm. in line with who they are, but ultimately, you know, it takes a long time to get to know someone. And I just, I feel like sometimes, Coming to the table, seeing something like music, which is in a recording, is sort of the perfect. It's 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 a complete. Uh, it's a complete statement. It's something you've worked on and finessed and are ready to launch it out into the world. So it's very, it's kind of a perfect statement. You know, it's something you've mm-hmm. signed off on. It's not. You didn't get to see the making of it and all the messiness of it you know to see that's when you start to see who who people are to a degree but you know how it is we can all relate it takes a long time to get to know someone and in this culture where everything is so quick and fast and even before social media has really picked up and created false actually impressions um mm-hmm. and very quick like you know you're getting little bits and pieces and you and you summarize something, I don't know if it's if it's always the best way to approach that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, people make mistakes. And does that mean that they're no longer good artists? No. I mean, so, but to answer your question, do my life experiences feed into my work? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm consumed with this new job. It's really become front and center in my life at this moment Mm -hmm. um so it'll take time to to see how it impacts my writing certainly it's not linear you're not gonna hear me write a song about a river or it's just not my style right you know so things seep in and then they become something um it's pretty um it's not super linear right and um but I think that's been true with everything that I've done. But right now I'm in it. I'm in the thick of it, of the very, like, you know, direct interaction phase of my life again. Mm-hmm. And so, How this manifests creatively. I don't know. So we'll wait and see.
1: I just found it so fascinating actually. And actually to kind of go back to what you said, like I I love what you said, like I kind of feel like you took me to school a little bit there, which I love because I'm never one to like say like, Oh, when you were talking about whether or not I like, like if it's a factor into like whether some, how someone is perceived as an artist based on their own, I don't know, like what they do or what they believe or whatever like this. Um, I remember a while ago uh, you've, probably familiar with the band Skid Row from like the 80s heavy metal band. And I remember I was talking to the bass player a few years ago in an interview. And one of the things he said was he said, you know, like social media has completely taken the mystique away from anything, especially for musicians or like, you know, quote unquote rock stars or whatever. And one of the things he was saying was he said it's not so much that he liked being a rock star he said it was more that he actually liked being seen on stage and then in an interview when he was wanting to be seen.
2: Well, I I think the, the learning curve with social media is steep and I can only speak for myself. You know, I, I feel like you can use it any way you want and it didn't come with a manual (laughs) And so, the public is learning along the way, and I think that um, I haven't studied this well enough to know why I mean, it's kind of brilliant because it does seem to feed depending on what platform you're using to feed on certain human aspects that just are very natural um, but out of context so if you're on if if you're on Facebook and you're advocating or you're debating, you're not real. You, you already know that it doesn't can't take the place of like sitting face to face with someone and having a discussion on an issue. Um, That's really a place to argue and no one where nobody really wins that argument. It's not really a place (laughs) to, to debate or to, for there to be dissent or, or to even come to a conclusion or even one that matters. And so For myself, it's been a learning curve of how to use social media. And I've been off of it in many ways. I have a very, very Mm -hmm. private (laughs) place, but I'm I'm off of it. And I don't post and I don't spend as much time. Initially, I spent a lot of time and it was peculiar how, you know, thrilling it is to say something and get a quick reaction.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And, you know, it's like that going. And and certainly I can only speak to it from my place. I'm not going to criticize others for using it and learning Mm -hmm. to use it the way that they are. People want to post their sandwiches and post your sandwiches, right? (laughs) It's it's your choice. But I do think that we need to, I needed to learn how to better and still to curate the, the content and, Mm -hmm. and you don't really have much of a, of a, it's very different today. It almost seems like the platforms are curating for us. Like I could put something there that I really want you to see, but you may not see it now Mm -hmm. because it seems like content is um, edited very heavily by the platform. So I don't know. I, I think we're in a real, like a real new place with how we interact. And um. I think it's in a way to, to a degree bigger than us. And it's important. It's important to really think about how we're using it and what we're trying to, what need are we trying to fill, you know, mm. and look at that because that's really what I think is going on. Um, it's captured that. And uh, I'm sorry.
1: Oh, don't and, worry. You're going to hear noises over here. too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so I understand what that the bass player from Skid Row is saying, but I also Mm -hmm. think that we do have control over it. And I bet you, even though he doesn't want to see your sandwich, he's probably Mm -hmm. seen it because he's probably on social media and one way or another, you see things and then you Mm -hmm. can't unsee them. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, it's just really interesting. Kind of like you said, to see how people have adapted to it because, you know, you you know, even you you and I are, probably very close within the same age or you know i just like i just turned 48 in september and okay so
2: yeah 53 in april okay so yeah
1: so we remember we're in this really weird pocket of time where we totally remember a time before any of this you know where we were printing up flyers and handing them out to get people to come to shows and calling people on the telephone and busy signals, you
2: know, and then all of a yeah, sudden, no, you know what it is. It's just that this yeah. is not nothing new either, because now you can relate to your parents and your grandparents. And, you know, that's, that's really it. We're, we're able to say 25 years ago and have been an adult and, and have that reference point. Now it's time marches on. And that's to me, all it is.
1: It really is. But it's to me, it's like such an incredible place to be like, because I, you know, like I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, you know, we were joking about, uh, I was like, how my, like my, my arm hurts every morning when I wake up, you know, it just clicks. And he was like, oh, getting old sucks. And I was like, I love it. I love getting like, it's like, it's life, you know, like, it's like, you know, when I can look back on, you know, probably what the 43, maybe 40 Years or so that I can really remember, you know, that I was like, I love being able to say that I've been around for a large chunk of Yeah, you're
2: lucky. You're lucky. I mean, there are people who don't make it out of their twenties. I mean, it's really it's relative. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's I think there's joy every day really, if you can be present with whatever is in front of you without trying to sound. Cliché or Pollyanna, but, you know, mm-hmm. as you say, getting older just requires, you know, a little more maintenance and, <laughs> and uh, a little more sleep, a little more water, move your body. It's it's and that is sort of the opposite of where we are. We're much more um, docile sitting in front of our computers mm-hmm. all day doing our work. It's a challenge. It's a challenging time, you know, for but I'm with you. I feel very much that way. And I think that as a woman too, all the changes that women face menopause and things like that, that most, most women don't want to discuss or have a, or the way their bodies change and what have you, which is really a natural occurrence. That's very, that's earned. It's a wisdom. And, you know, it, it, It's hard to find women who are in their 50s who really, who don't say things like, I hate this, I hate my body, or I hate getting old, or totally understand, but it's, that's a cultural thing too. It's a weird American cultural phenomenon, but as a woman, I do appreciate being around other women who are embracing this decade, and it's hard to find.
1: So the album. When I read, yeah, you know, when I, you know, when I get your emails, even though they're very kind of spread out, like about when you're having new music, you know, all of a sudden when I see a Rebecca Martin email, I get excited because I'm like, okay, something's happening, or there's going to show that I'm not going to be able to go to, or and you announced that you had put out after midnight, or you were putting out after midnight. I think at the end of the month, right on the twenty eighth. Yeah. And I swear to God, I am going to totally butcher this because I'm yeah. from the South and American, but it was recorded with the Portuguese Orchestra Jazz de Montes batacinos Was that even close? Yeah.
2: So it's um, I have to read it because. uh <laughs> I don't feel so bad well, now. Well, what the thing is, is I won't say it right either because it's, but, but, uh, <laughs> medicinos is a, is a place inside of Porto, Portugal.
3: Okay.
2: So I am not pronouncing it either. Cause I do not speak Portuguese.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
2: but it's, um, it's a, it's a really special jazz orchestra, that's in a gorgeous location in Port Porto, Portugal, mm-hmm. that's funded by the government, which is pretty special, at least in part, if not in whole. Um, and they're they're constantly working, you know, and and investing in creative projects. And so I've known about them for a while. I knew of them through Kurt Rosenwinkel when they did Who's the jazz? Who's the guitarist? The jazz guitarist
3: mm-hmm. who
2: did a collaboration with them a few years before I did, and you know they they um, invite artists to join them, and they have a whole series of of uh, different collab- collaborations with mm-hmm. artists. So it was great to be asked.
1: Well, so one of the things I loved about it, So, you know, cause I'll definitely get into the songs, which I just loved. I've probably listened to it six or seven times already yeah. to kind of absorb it, you know, because I, obviously I'm a fan, but you had a very small window of time to make this album. So I can't even begin to imagine how that process was. So like, was it stressful or was it like one of those things where you were kind of like, kind of like prepared to go into it. and no, we got to get in and out pretty quick.
2: I think my training as a kid, I grew up in a recording studio. My parents mm-hmm. found a studio for me to, to grow up. in. I, I started recording pretty young. Um, I don't remember if it was eight or 10, I was just in the studio. So mm-hmm. the studio is very natural to me. I have no intimidation of it you know probably because of that mm-hmm. and um i presume so i get pretty focused when i'm in the studio and i'm i'm not you know it never feels stressful it just feels like we have 4 days this is what we have to accomplish the ojm had invited me to to um work with them in 2017 Where we did a couple of concerts and we had fleshed out the music to play, and we only had a week to learn this material together and then to play two very large concerts, one in um, one in Portugal, Mm -hmm. one in Barcelona. I think that was it. (laughs) So, but there were big, big, big theaters, and so it was. We didn't know each other. We didn't, you know, had never worked together. So maybe there was more pressure then, back
3: then. Mm.
2: And when we got through it, they were building this recording studio. And it would have been nice to go from the concerts to the studio, but it wasn't possible. So when, when the studio was ready and I got an offer to go to Vienna to sing, I reached out and said, can we record this body of work just to document it?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so they could, and it, this was in January of 2020. And so we, I kind of, I just built it into my plans going to Europe just to do as much as I could while I was there. Mm-hmm. And um, this time around Larry, I brought Larry along cause uh, it wasn't with Larry when I perform live. And so we, right. We went and, yeah, we had four days to jam and to get this done with a huge orchestra. Um, I don't know how many pieces it is, 15, 20, something like that. Yeah, it was a big, big group for sure. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but, you know, we, we recorded it. And then I came home and the pandemic hit, you know, so I got back in February early February, I got really sick. I was sick for three weeks with the cough (gasps) and everything else, but it turned out not to be COVID. As far as I know, I took a test later to see if I had the antibodies and I, I didn't. So I must've just had a flu. So everything shut down. And from then on out, we made this record remote, which maybe you remember, maybe you don't, I thought it was going to come out last year. It was a lot of starts and stops
3: mm-hmm. and
2: um, just to get it right, um, which was really fun. In the we had a great time, even though it was all remote. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the story. I wouldn't say it was stressful. We were all really focused and um, I was happy to be making a record. Um, and especially with an orchestra.
1: And one of the things I also loved about it was because, you know, I've been following uh, like we've talked about before, uh, like all of your, your, your solo works, you know, from, you know, your once blue all the way, you know, from post once blue all the way to now. And so there's been a lot of songs throughout the years that I've really latched onto and, I was actually really excited to hear some of the songs on this album completely rep, you know, like um, uh, the space and the space in a song to think, which is, I think off the the growing season, maybe. And um, and then you even did like uh, in the nick of time from the Upstate album. Mm -hmm. And I loved hearing those. Oh, and Joey. Joey was a really big one to me because I loved that on the uh, years ago when the Once Blue album, was like an import, yeah, and it had that also, extra.
2: I think it's on uh,
1: Thoroughfare as well. It is. I, I I actually made a note so I wouldn't forget to say that. But I paid like forty something dollars for that Once Blue album off of you know as an import because I wanted those Sorry, extra Don. songs. Oh <laughs> God, it was the best forty something bucks I ever spent. Trust me, it was one of those. But I loved hearing those songs and and hearing them. Yeah, you, know, you know, I mean they're timeless, but to hear them with such a different, you know, all that instrumentation was just so cool. So how was it for you to actually be able to hear those songs with such a grand new, like this, like life that was breathed into them that maybe it didn't have, you know, it went from being kind of a sparse to being like this grand thing that must have been incredible. Great. It is incredible.
2: And I, you know, I think that, um, I wonder, you know, if I would choose the same songs today as I did then, just now that I have a better sense of the orchestra and, and I might've chosen some different tunes, the irony of after midnight, which is really funny. And I don't know how this happened, but one of the tunes that I sent them was the midnight sun and somehow wires <laughs> got crossed and I, I, when I got to Portugal in 2017, they learned after midnight instead of the midnight sun. Oh, that's and incredible. I was so confused. Cause I'm like, I didn't send them this song. Maybe they chose it, but it was that we lost in translation and, and the, the irony that it ended up being the title track, which was not because personally it was my favorite song on the record, but I think that it, both for Pedro and I, who's the conductor, um, and one of the um, one of the uh, um, what do you call the he he wrote some of the 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 uh, arrangements, the arranger mm-hmm. for the on the record. Just um, you know the times we were in, you know, it just felt very intense back then with what was happening. I mean, it's intense anyway with anyone. But the rhetoric around in America and and the fear that I think was pretty palpable, the,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, the more overtness we were with COVID just more tap, tapped it, tapped into social media and the news and all the it was very intense and I mm-hmm. anyway it seemed like that was a good a good lead-in song for the record but it was meant to be the midnight sun. Um, I love that story. (laughs) It's so incredible. It's amazing. I have something for you. You ready? Here we go. Yes.
0: (laughs) Matuzinhos. Oh, they. (laughs) Matuzinhos.
2: That's the best. Rather than me trying to say it or you trying to say it, to get it right. You know,
1: so, yeah, I did, I did the whole text so to speech thing on Google and I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to be able to, I can't, I can't even roll my tongue. I don't know. I'm just going to just say it. Oh, that's <laughs> not. Good.
2: It's, it's something different and it takes sometimes a minute. I mean, I would like to spend more time there going in and out as quickly as you do mm-hmm. that impression and how you process language really some for me it takes a little time to be honest and i am when i go anywhere it's usually quick and i just take in whatever i can you know
3: mm-hmm. and
2: uh portugal though i'll tell you is you know i felt this way about japan too i could live there without any hesitation and i just felt really i feel very comfortable there italy is the same um it's funny I mean I am grateful that I that I grew up where I did and that I've landed here, but mm-hmm. I don't see myself being here forever um, you know I feel like with whatever time is left when the time comes that I'm meant to I'm, I belong somewhere else in order to do this next phase of learning so who knows where that'll be i I could only be fortunate enough for that to be portugal let me tell you Mm. it's a beautiful place people are wonderful and um you know the culture is yeah there's a certain ease to the way people live there and simple simplicity um not that america isn't great it has its greatness for sure but um you know i really long for culture <laughs> and and when i say culture i don't mean like lincoln center i mean i long for being immersed in a <laughs> in culture of food and and music and tradition and like i grew up in that i feel like i don't really feel like it's as easy to just step into where i am now maybe that culture that i'm longing to be so difficult to to find because mm-hmm. it's, I grew up in a community that was many generations of family, many. Like, I don't know how many at this point, I guess it would be four generations, which isn't even that long. If you think about it, because my ancestors are, I that's the French side. I don't know about the Irish side, how long they might've been where I grew up in Maine, but
1: um, you have your French and Irish. That's amazing.
2: I'm like a Cajun, but I'm the cold climate. I'm the Acadian and I'm mainly Acadian. Like when you talk about new Orleans and Mm -hmm. that's the Cajuns, those are my relatives, you know, and, and um, they migrated further South. Mine landed in Prince Edward Island. And ultimately, you know, in Maine where there were Mm -hmm. jobs, paper, making paper mill, yeah, being transient, I don't know. I think we migrate when we need water, when we need, like I think of the Dust Bowl or when mm-hmm. conditions are bad, we have to migrate. There, you know, we're, we're um, but I, I kind of feel like a pack animal and just needing to lay down my roots and to really dig in and be a part of something larger than me. Community is a funny thing. I really have a different impression of it today than I did a decade ago. And um it's really changed and and when I tell you yes I relate to places like Portugal or or Japan because of what I'm sensing in the with the family unit and the and maybe what I really just need to do is go back to Maine where you know where I came from. I don't know
1: say around like 94. Or so it was when I, you know, I started following bands, you know, I was 21. And you're just like, I'm going to go follow fish for a few weeks. And then, Oh, I'm going to follow this bluegrass band from Colorado for a while. And then, Oh, I met this awesome woman. Now we're going to go follow bands around. And it's like, you kind of get a taste for that life. And, at times it was exciting, but then all of a sudden you would see the, the seedy underbelly of it, too, where like the good times were like, I could do this forever. And then the bad times, you're like, I'm so glad I have a job back home and a bed. And so it's kind of like you said, like there there is this kind of a daring aspect to it. But at the same time, there's something it's almost like I I like doing that by choice, you know, and like I mean, it's very
2: lucky, right? It was yeah. Very lucky it, it to, to have grown up where we are and at the time that we were alive um you know it's it's a moment in the world here that's relatively peaceful and here where we are mm-hmm. um or has been and depending on your color your gender your socio- socioeconomic background i mean it it really all who Who can say why? I mean, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting and yet you're, it's kind of existential, you know, there's, it's hard to, to understand, you know, how some of us can do that and others can't for all sorts of different reasons. So it's gratitude. It's great that you understand and appreciate that because Mm -hmm. it's really special to have those experiences and and you know and to appreciate them and uh, I'm with you and I'm I'm glad that I have been able to experience what I have but now in my fifties you know my mom is almost eighty and there's just all sorts of things that your life isn't necessarily uh, in place for in order to pivot. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So I think about that a lot now. It's really important to me to take care of family.
1: It is. And kind of echoing back a little bit about what we were talking about, about uh, uh, both appreciation, appre- uh, appreciating getting older and growing, is that you can look back on your adventures and your choices, whether they be not great or good or whatever and appreciate them for what they are. But to also know that you didn't have to live in that box forever, you know, that it, that it actually could be a stepping stone, you know, or, but still be a chapter, you know, like.
2: Well, self-development too. I mean, that, which is what I mean about, the good fortune and the person I was 20 years ago and the person I am today is very different. And if I Mm -hmm. remained in one place my whole life, I don't know if I would have had the opportunity to change. Right. I appreciate the box expanding so that I could Mm -hmm. grow and change. So, right. So when you think about this, there's like the individual experience and then the collective, and for the individual, there's all sorts of really self improvements and or challenges and what have you that develop a personality and a and a actually a larger connection, potentially. Um and um yeah, and and the potential for real positive change in an individual's um. You know, experience that way. But as a collective, it's kind of a different m- mechanism. I'm not sure if collectively we're able to do that sort of grow- growth or learn. It seems like not.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah.
2: Learn anything. Um, we continue to kind of do the same things over and over again that don't work and that are not. I mean, even when I think of like the tragedies that bring everybody together for like 30 seconds and then we sort of don't remember and we continue to do the same things that don't, you know, that don't really work as I've said it already. And that might be a part of our nature too. Like instead of, you know, kind of similar to what I was saying earlier when you're like, Oh, I don't like this part of myself or that part of myself. Mm um but there's just like that the acceptance of what we are like we are animals we do the same things over and over again oh, they yeah. are not they're not smart you know <laughs> but we don't seem to we do not seem to we make advances in some ways but they really just tend to get us into deeper trouble it's interesting mm-hmm. i'm not sure what we're learning i'm not sure what i'm learning I'm contributing, it feels good. I'm learning and growing personally, but as a collective, I'm not sure. And why I can look back even at the mistakes I've made and, and value them. Because honestly, in those times, I, I even understand why I made those choices that I can look back at and say, I wouldn't do that again. So it's not really even a mistake, it's that I just wouldn't make those same choices today that I made then. Let's just put it that way which I yeah. think is closer to the truth cuz the good and bad is the thing that gets us really wrapped up in 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 gets me wrapped up in the wrong headspace you know yeah. so today right now I have to speak to you and I'm going to make a beef stew and then I'm going to do you know a little bit of work and I'm going to do them mm-hmm. the best that I can and then when I go to sleep, I'm going to feel like this was a day well spent. I did I did things the best I could that lead to the larger picture, which is, you know, you and I, when we get off feeling like, hopefully you feel like Rebecca gave me a hundred percent of her time and energy, just like I would feel about you.
1: You're going to love you that. that. I, I worked out a segue here because, you know, we're talking about living in the moment, but we're also talking about kind of looking back in our past and kind of going, yo, you know what, that, that was a point in my life that was a building block to, for me to get to, you know, it's part of your foundation. And I've never got to ask you this before. And I was so excited when I remembered the question and what it was, was that, you know, obviously we're close in age, same generation. I was trying to picture Rebecca Martin in like middle school, high school, and what kind of music was Rebecca Martin listening to? I mean, cause obviously you're very incredible jazz musician was, was it always jazz or was there like a, was there like a little hidden metalhead rock girl like in there that we don't know about? No,
2: absolutely. And and I, 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 I grew up in a tree. I grew up in Maine up in trees mm-hmm. and I, I grew up in a recording studio, like like I said. And I think that early on, I mean, I was listening to everything. It was more pop music, really. Mm-hmm. Um, my first concert though was um what was it? It was like Lover Boy and Quiet Riot. Oh my god, um, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um no, it's true. I mean, I I was in a in a in a rock band, and I would sing Ozzy Osbourne, and I would sing. I mean, really, I like you. Just at the time, I was just taking it all in. Howard Jones, mm-hmm. Ozzy Osbourne, to Yes and Asia, and um, Joni Mitchell. And Joni Mitchell was like many of us. That Court and Spark record, really changed me in a profound way when I heard that mm-hmm. um, Carly Simon. Um, it really wasn't until I got to New York that I was really exposed. My parents always wanted me to, to listen to jazz. I went to jazz school mm-hmm. for a, a year, but I was just really hard to pin down. I was such I oh boy. I was just like a big Northern lights display. I was just everywhere. I could go. I love that analogy, by the way. That's amazing. I was was a wild child (laughs) and uh, I didn't do drugs or anything like that, but I was definitely, um, I was definitely wild and untempered, searching for experiences at a very young age and um, a real country girl. And but I moved to New York as soon as I could by myself. And I was fearless. Don't I, I, you know, I just had, I was very determined, but I had no idea what it, what a career in music meant. And um, I was just literally following this path that I knew at 16, I was coming to New York. So, you know, and I got to New York singing pop songs, you know, it was, it was a real, like,
1: mishmash of things so Mm
3: -hmm.
1: um please tell me there's video of you singing ozzy songs because i would i'd pay top dollar to see that
2: (laughs) i will never share i will never share but there are all sorts of leave behinds that that i that are they exist that i was in this band called the twitch i was in a band Mm -hmm. called the educated monkeys We almost got signed too to. uh, What what's that? What is uh? What is that band called? Trent Trent. uh, what's Trent Reznor?
1: Oh, nice. Oh yeah. I think was. Oh yeah, I know. I know he had his label. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, that that's crazy. So you almost got signed to that. That's. I was in a punk band in New York City, playing at CBGB's and Woody's
2: back in the day. I just did it. I did whatever. I was just wanting to sing.
3: Yeah.
2: And so it's very un uh unlike a lot of the people who I've met who really went through a formal training and all of that. And um I would I recommend my path? No. I don't think it works this way for everybody. It's it's unconventional as hell. But um I'm a little bit of everything it seems. It, not everything classical and that I just never spent time listening to. No, I'm a real rock and roller. I really am. <laughs> I love when I did try to sing that stuff. I could do it, mm-hmm. but not convincingly. I mean, it wasn't until once blue, honest to God, where I felt at home with the music and the songwriting and the because um, you know I think like groups like Yes or Asia or or even um, Rush,
3: mm-hmm. you
2: know, it was like music that was doing all these things that were really unconventional in pop music, at least to my ear. Mm-hmm. I was really craving that and, and, and writing songs that were authentic and yet didn't necessarily, um, weren't necessarily predictable in their form.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so once blue was where it all clicked, I, I was so lucky. And I think I was driven in part for two reasons is to get to New York, to discover my music. And that's with me today and to meet Larry. And I think that's it. You know, I, I think I was driven. I had to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was quite a leap for a gal from such a small town to to do what I did on my own. I mean with the support of my family, but mm-hmm. go by my I did, it wasn't like I had a companion.
1: Um, right, or that you had like some sort of like built-in like, you know, oh, I'm going to we're going to help you get into this or put you but I didn't your... have
2: a I didn't have a family member. We didn't have a lot of money and mm-hmm. I didn't have connections. You know, I literally I had none of that. I came to New York and followed the the stream. I mean the I ended up running the radio station. How, how in the midst of this large school was I just picked out of the, the bunch and became the program manager? Mm-hmm. You know, and it became my whole life at the school was just to focus on how to organize and create a strong radio station format. Mm-hmm. Um, but my roommate's sister worked at MTV. And she was the manager of this band called Educated Monkeys. And they were looking for a singer. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to send them a cassette tape from my time work growing up with this like 20 page resume. Cause I had no idea how to do a resume of all the things I had done at the recording studio. And I got selected to be in this band. And so I went down and I played during the year and then Um, the summer came and I was still a student. And so in order to stay, I needed a job. And so she got me a job at MTV and that allowed me to go into the city to be in this punk band in order to. work, And and then I worked at MTV, which I continued to climb the ladder at MTV. Mm -hmm. I left the punk band because I wasn't a punker. I dyed right. my hair black. That was the extent of it. That's as far as I'm going. You know, and I'd show up in my little polka dotted dress with black hair. And it's like, this isn't really working. But, um, <laughs> and I was climbing the ladder at MTV. And I I ended up meeting another friend there who was grew up with Jesse. She's like, I have this friend. I've got to, you've got to meet my friend, Jesse Harris. And I was like, okay. And um, Jesse showed up at a performance of mine at the Bitter End. And so we met and connected and that began that journey. And I quit my job because I felt like I had to decide which road to go down. I've decided to embrace both worlds, which I've never done before. I've always chosen to keep my... One foot
1: in and one foot out because mm-hmm. I have to be available to music. There might be a Twitch reunion. Oh, Who God.
3: It? Never,
2: no, no. <laughs> That's over. <a, laughs> that is definitely over, but I definitely am grateful for it.
1: I played bass guitar all through high school because I learned how to play guitar. You know, it took like a year's worth of lessons or so when I was like an 85, 86 or so. And then stopped and then learned how to play songs by ear as i grew up and then you know i moved to georgia right before my uh sophomore year high school and i got there and i was like is anybody looking for a guitar player to jam with and they were like no there's like 30 guitar players here and they were like oh man but you know you know if you played bass i was like huh all right so i had my parents buy me a bass guitar, and then all of a sudden I was the bass player. You
3: know? That's <laughs> so, what Larry
2: always says is that the reason his, his, um, I think it was his dad mm-hmm. who got him playing bass, because I think Larry started on trumpet was because he wanted to play, he wanted gigs, and there's mm-hmm. always the need for bass. And so it is a good instrument for that reason.
1: It was funny because I play, I played in a, kind of like a punk metal band from like 91 to 94. And one of the people, younger people who read my blog uh, who lives in town is a mutual friend, um, heard our demo, which was online and mm-hmm. um from 94. And he was like, Oh my God, dude, he goes, I can't believe it. he goes, do you guys think you would ever like reunite? Or-? I was like, did you hear us? i was like i was like you would want that now i was like because i was like we haven't played together since 94 and we'd probably sound the way we did when we rehearsed twice a week Well,
3: yeah yeah
1: that's great but it's a piece of my life that i look back on very fondly but i'm like don't know that i need to go there again (laughs)
2: again totally Totally. Yeah. understand. No, it's, it's good. It's great. It's great to embrace it. It's great to move on. Oh, it's and I, different. yeah, I'm not at this point. I'm still not nostalgic at all. I'm not really that kind of gal. So I don't pine over the past, but we'll see as you get older, maybe that that will change as people depart. I don't know, but um whatever, you know, you, you move on. <laughs> you you embrace it or you forgive yourself and you move on. That's it.
1: I found myself getting more nostalgic over the past, I'd say maybe like five years or so. So my mom passed away in August and when she passed away, you know, of course, you know, with it, I got all her like photo albums and things like that. And I'm looking through these photos and I'm seeing pictures that I hadn't even didn't even remember certain moments. And like, there's these weird kinds of nostalgia. I feel like, but like there's this nostalgia that people look back on and go like, I wish I could go back there again, which has never been who I was. Like I've never looked back and said, Oh man, high school was like high school was the worst. I hated high school. Like I didn't, I couldn't wait to be an adult, you know? And so like, I look back on these times now and I like, I enjoy the memories and I enjoy the good times. And I remember the not good times, but I like remembering them. I don't know that I want to go live them again. I definitely don't want to. And I don't ever go, Oh, that was such a great time in my life. I wish that was a, you know, like, I'm more of the school that like, I like to be reminded of what my past was, not necessarily want to live there again or redo it all again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Oh, thank uh,
1: you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: um, Yeah. I, I, I understand. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I understand. And, and I think that, um, as I said, you know, I, when there is space and time for me to think about it all, I just, you know, I guess at 53 now coming up and you know, you start to really see it's like, you know, there's a limited amount of time,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, it, it, you know, going forward. And so
1: um, how much of that do we want to spend wallowing over the past or like like you said, some, some might do pine over it when you're like, okay, like, like, what do I have left to do? Let's, let's stay on that trajectory.
2: Yeah. I was thinking about it and I was actually finding my, 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 myself just thinking about, again, this is very existential, but it, I was just thinking about myself as a you know, if my life has all has all been this series of like following threads and paths mm-hmm. and warm spots, you know, to find out and and to see where it ends, where it ends up, choose your own adventure
3: kind of thing, mm-hmm.
2: then I just love thinking those books, <laughs> yeah, and just sort of thinking about you know um, the time that I have in that same way of just you know realizing that, you know, I'm part of something. I don't really know what it is in a way. I'm also, well, I'm also completely alone in it. Mm -hmm. And in both ways, I spend a lot of time in my mind, which is even in a crowded room is alone. Mm -hmm. And so just trying to be clear to see, you know, if I have, if there's other ways to, you know, hear and to move in what other directions are there and just to try to be open to that as well. I mean, you know, what I'm doing and what I want to be doing. It's so different. It's so different and I don't have it figured out
1: uh, at all. And you can probably hear that. I'm, I'm, almost you know, kinda, it's almost kind of, almost reassuring in a way.
3: Yeah. To find, it's,
1: it's when you hear it from other people that, y- you know, like, one of my favorite things to kind of jokingly ask people. And even though it's kind of a joke, it's it's kind of, it's like, so like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still figuring it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, I think, I think that you've done very well for yourself. And I, I feel like, you know, what do I want to be as I'm winding down is
1: more like it. That's Um, that's exactly. Yeah.
2: You know, and I, what, how do I want to spend my time with whom? And um, all I can do is what we say is each day make decisions. There, there've been a lot of those decisions too, that I think are are tough for people too. I think, you know, when um, with the limited time, with all the things that you want to do, some of those things that you were doing 10 years ago were perfect. then. They don't work now. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work to have those relationships as they were either. And for relationships to grow, that's very unique. It's not every day that you find those connections where you're sort of going down the stream together and right. enjoying that the passage of time when you are together. Like it feels current. It feels right. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that don't though. And I think that's part of life too. Of, And it includes family and friends or acquaintances. It's like there, there shouldn't be an obligation to carry things along. It becomes right. It can become a, a you know, a ball and chain otherwise
3: mm-hmm.
2: to try to r- remain who you were when, when you're not that any longer people change. Yeah. And, and um, and grow ideally, although maybe not everybody. Maybe that's not their that's not their path, and that's beautiful too. But for me, there there's just no <laughs> nothing I can do. So anyway, it's it's really a wild moment. It feels very uh, mm-hmm. significant, like when I was a teenager
1: to kind of close out is it 2025 in three years it's gonna be 30 years since the once blue album came out wow you're right october came out october 24th yep it was it was right around halloween
3: Mm -hmm.
1: i was really thinking about this because a lot of artists and you probably know what's coming is that like was is there any chance or any top like no, we talked about not reveling in the past or anything, but like, would you like to see maybe like a reunion of sorts to revisit the album in a live setting and kind of, I don't know, go back to where it all began in the sorts for you and, and that in that little milestone of your life? Because, you know, 30 years, that's a pretty big milestone for a, um, it's wild. For a body of work, you know? You know, I think the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point,
2: there was a time where I was more open to it and actually discussing it. Um, but I, you know, I, first of all, I don't think Jesse would ever do it. He's never been interested in it and doing that. And and I I was like I said, more open to the idea. Uh, Kurt really wanted to see that happen at one point, but now I think, no, I think it's, it's, I think it's a part of our history that I love that I really do love. And I'm so, like I said, I, that band was when music made sense. Like I could see it. I could see writing it. I could see, because before then it was really a hodgepodge. And I never really felt comfortable. I would do it. It was fun. But I can't say that I felt super inspired by it. It was when I got hooked with Once Blue and really just Jesse's songwriting process just really was simpatico with who I was. Uh, and it still is. I mean, I really I think even my the way I write was pretty influenced by uh his writing even though i think he's much more um crafty than i am i don't really think yeah. about songwriting that way um and i think in some ways he doesn't but he also can do it that way
3: mm-hmm.
2: and that's not really something I, I i can do or that i would enjoy to do
3: yeah.
2: but no i don't think i don't think our paths are gonna connect i think they did what they needed to do mm-hmm. um and especially now, my life is just, I mean, I am so excited to see and I hope for the next phase of what—what what is my songwriting going to be like? I definitely don't want to keep doing it the way I've been doing it. And it might entail going and studying. I don't know. Learning the language better than I know it. Um, I definitely don't relate to a lot of the songs that I've written, though. No, I wouldn't sing them today.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so everything is sort of changing. And I, one last part, answer to your question, that second record that we put out that mm-hmm. had both records on it.
1: Yes. And then the,
2: the live album
1: mm-hmm. that I put out. Which was fantastic. I remember I that was the last that time was, we talked was when that came yeah. out. And I love it.
2: Yeah, me too. I mean, it's so sweet. And I remember that gig, the Handlebar and, and uh, South Carolina, I think it was South Carolina or North
1: Carolina. Yeah, I think it was South Carolina.
2: That was a special show. That was Gene and his, that space. That was one of those things that I, that go down in history, in my memory as one of my favorite gigs, that audience, the whole thing. So to find it. And then to find the poster, a picture of the poster that still exists, that to me was like, this has got to get out. Those are the things. I feel like we've emptied it out. You're hearing it. There's more. And I actually still own the two-inch tape. So someday I'm going to transfer it all and hear it. You know, Jesse, I think, has given up on it. I still have it in a controlled Storage setting because I can't get rid of it. I feel like even, even if it's only important to, to me, I gotta someday get everything off of that. And to you, I mean, to hear like I want Kurt it all <laughs> and to hear Kenny and the interactions of the band that, that's just something I need to have someday. Um, I started that process, I have like mm. 50 dats. And I've given them now to a studio to transfer it all so that I can listen to it and see what's on there. So that to me is the work ahead. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to give anything more to the past that way, that's what I would do. Um, But I'm really on, I'm on a different trajectory and where I end up, I don't know, but I I really, really want to see what happens with a little space and time the orchestra recording was great and circling back, what an experience to be able mm-hmm. to sing with an orchestra and focus and get that record together. But even where I'm heading with writing, who knows? It's a whole new world and I definitely don't want to go back. No.
1: Well, no. but I love that there's still some love for the Fine. legacy and that. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. And if anything, like, it's who I am. It's, it's, I want to hear it also,
2: you know, and you, and you, you will. I mean, there's a lot of listening to do, and I'm, I'm looking forward. You know, the second once blue record, Jesse got a box of tapes out of the storage space and he was Mm -hmm. listening to it with Kurt. That never would have happened had he not found that box of tapes. So, There could be amazing. I'm sure that there is like really amazing uh, performances left to be heard from from that time. But no, but you know who I would work with any day of the week is Kurt. Kurt is Guillermo, Brad. Um, you know I don't need I don't need to collaborate writing songs. I I got my own songs. I I just that world those worlds that they create are just extraordinary so i've got kurt i got kurt i got guillermo what's missing is brad i gotta get that together someday brad meldow oh my god
1: i would love that i would that's really
2: all that's love for me i think in terms of that collaboration (laughs) and everything very you know we keep going but i so appreciate all your thank you for 30 years, you've been listening to to the music I make too, which is, it's a big deal, Dawn. So thank you so much for that.
1: Appreciate
2: well your, you, your ears and your your uh, kindness and uh, glad it resonates with you.
1: Oh, well, you've been a huge part of the soundtrack of my life for 30 years. And I look well, forward to to more as we get as we move forward and again like congratulations on the album i'm super excited to hear it well i mean to see it actually come out is what i should say because i've heard it a bunch already but i think it's going to be really cool for people to hear exactly like this kind of new chapter for rebecca me too
2: too. and you know as i mentioned too before we go there's also an audio book It, it was all done on zoom so which is It wouldn't have happened otherwise, but we do hear it in sequence of 11 women in my life who I value so much who read a piece. And it's just so wild and wonderful to hear the different voices read these words. And I hope it brings people closer to the lyrics, even closer than maybe with my singing them. So. I'm excited for you to hear that, too.
1: What a great companion to that, you know, so it's
2: so it totally surprised me how much you know I loved having that and um I look forward to you hearing it
1: Oh well, I can't wait to hear it, and can't wait to hear all the 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 archives and everything, but you know, I always enjoy talking to you, Rebecca, and it's amazing, and I really appreciate you always taking time out to. To uh, entertain me with all my questions and whatnot, and
2: well, thanks for spreading the word, Don. Appreciate After it. After midnight, yeah.